This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. And in this episode, I have the delightful double pleasure of having brothers Mark and Jeff Pisoni of Pisoni Family Vineyards with me as guests today. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark is a skillful farmer and has a second sense for soil and the vines that flourish in it. He wakes up before dawn every day to check the vines. He's sort of like a vine whisperer. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Economics from the University of California, Davis, go Aggies, and a Master of Science in Farm Business Management from Cornell. He actually fuses his hands-on experience that he learned while farming with his father and grandfather together with the ideas of viticultural models he adopted in academia. Mark tends to the vines with affection and consummate skill. I want to hear more about that. Now, Jeff Pisani, his brother, is devoted to the pursuit of perfection in wine. As a kid, Jeff grew up in a family immersed in the practices of farming and winemaking. A fascination with science prompted him early on to elect winemaking for his own profession. Now, Jeff's earned a Bachelor of Science degree in enology from Cal State University, Fresno and put his degree into practice at Peter Michael, very impressive, prior to becoming a vintner for Pisani. Making wines allows him to extend his knowledge of and appreciation for the natural sciences every day. Gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome to the Vine Guy podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure. So let me, let me just start off real quick by asking, are either of you aware of any other brother-brother team, viticulture, and winemaker in the industry. I'm just curious because I, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast started, and I can't think of another brother duo where one is responsible for the vineyard and one's responsible for the winemaking. Yeah, I don't, I don't know of one either. And I looked around. I've met cousins, and sure, there are a lot of siblings and family in that run wineries and vineyards. But you know, it, it feels really special to us, and with one you know, taking care of the vineyard and one in the winery, there's so much overlap in terms of what we all aspire to do in winemaking that it's a really special relationship that we enjoy. So I did recently have the pleasure of interviewing a father-daughter duo where she was responsible for the vines and he was the winemaker. But you guys are kind of unique where you're brothers. And I just got to ask this question. Do you ever butt heads? You know, we have we might have some disagreement sometimes, but <laughs> so, this is Jeff, by the way. Jeff is talking and Mark is just smiling. <laughs> you got for those of you who are listening yeah. you can't see this. <laughs> Actually, and, no, they're both smiling. And you know, we you know, just like anyone, we we do butt heads every once in a while and we disagree, but that's we're both on the same page and our family's been on the same page for generations and generations. And that's trying to grow better grapes and make better wines. And we're both continually pushing to do that. Um, and that's really cool to be teamed up with my brother to do that. So let's talk about that for a second. How many generations are you guys? I mean, you've been around a while, but are you the second, third, fourth generation doing this? Yeah, it depends. You know what we consider our, our, our farming background, our, our great grandparents were started as dairy farmers around the 1900s. Our grandparents started vegetable farming around 1950 and then are, and they all made wine too, you know, noteworthy in, in as, as a, you know, as, as home winemakers, as they were working in the Valley. 
And our father is the first in our family to plant grapevines and one of the one of the early ones in the area also. So let's talk about the valley in the area. We have not actually talked about where you all are located. So we're located in the central coast of California. Our vineyards are in the Santa Lucia Highlands. Uh, we have three vineyards that we own and farm, our Pizzoni Estate Vineyard, uh, our Gary's Vineyard, and our Sobranos Vineyard. And then on the valley floor, really rich soils um, in the Salinas Valley is where I am located. And that's where I live. And we continue to farm vegetables on the valley floor. And then up in the mountains is where we have the wine grapes. I think it's probably uh, important to note that uh, the Santa Lucia Highlands is just inland from Monterey. So to kind of give people a point of reference there. Yeah, the Santa Lucia Highlands is, you know, just over the ridge from kind of Big Sur. Cold, windy, foggy, your classic cool climate uh, grape growing region. Well, it sounds great for grapes. I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's the ideal vacation spot the way you just described right. it. Right. <laughs> it's a good thing you're not in marketing. Um, so let's talk a little, because I have been to the Santa Lucia Highlands. And one of the, the most fascinating things about the region for me, two things, actually, the topography, which is really interesting, pretty rugged, and the wind. Oh, my gosh. Every evening, like you could set your clock by the, the blast of wind that comes through that valley. So uh, I'm going to actually throw this over to you, Mark. Can, can talk to me a little bit about the topography and the, the climate that, that's going on in the Santa Lucia Highlands? Yeah, like I'm, I mean, climate is so important for wine grapes. I mean, essential. And as a farmer, we really pay close attention to that. Um, we're being so close to the Monterey Bay, all that cold air from Monterey Bay gets sucked down into our valley. So every morning we're under fog. It usually burns off around 9 or 10 a.m. We have an hour or two that's beautiful. It's maybe 65 degrees or so, 70 degrees. And then the afternoons, the wind just comes rushing down the valley and you regularly have gusts of 20 plus mile an hour winds. And if you're not from the area, it's shocking um, how harsh that wind is. It extends our growing season, really helps preserve the natural acidity in the wines. Um, and also, you know, I think toughens up our skins as well. And what about the Santa Lucia Highland bench itself? I mean, that benchland is really rugged. I mean, I, I can't imagine farming that. Yeah, so we're really up in the mountains, especially where our Pizzoni Estate property is. Um, our Pizzoni Estate is about 1,400 feet elevation. Wow. There are these alluvial fans that come off the Santa Lucia Highland Mountains, but very granite-based soils, very poor soils, extremely well-drained, really stressed these vines. Um, and especially where we are at our Pizzoni property, um, lean soils create great you know, tannins and great textures in our wines. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, tough, tough I'm sorry, it. Mark, we have a tendency to geek out a little bit on, on the podcast. Can you just explain what alluvial soils means? Yeah, so alluvial. So imagine our mountain range, the Santa Lucia Highland mountain range, is it goes up to about 4,500 feet. So alluvial soils are granite-based soils um, that are washed down. And there's kind of these ridges and valleys where we plant our wine grapes. And I'll actually let Jeff jump in a little bit. He did a great, mm -hmm some great research. Um, we have a blog on ge the geology of the Santa Lucia Highlands. Jeff, you want to jump in a little bit more? Sure. I mean, I might, I might geek out too much on the soil part, but what's, and what's, when Mark mentions the granite, one of the interesting things on the Santa Lucia Highlands soil is that it is granite, 
and is very rare to find granite on the coastlines of California. When we think of granite, you normally think of, in, in California, you normally think of Sierra foothills and Sierra Nevada mountain range. But the granites that we have in, in the Santa Lucia range originated from Southern California. And it was the activity of the San Andreas fault, you know, twisting and shifting that shifted that entire block to where it is on the central coast. And then by the action of this fault line that runs through the Santa Lucia highlands, it lifted it up to where that mountain range tops out at about 4,400 feet. And the Santa Lucia Appalachian runs from um, maybe 100 feet up to 1,400 feet, 1,500 feet along those bench lands. So it's, but, but what that brings in terms of, of wine profile is grapes that live in a very stressful environment. You know, granite soils, not rich soils. And those granites have low, you know, nutrient contents for the vines and low water holding capacity. So the vines work hard and it's rugged, like, like you said. So it doesn't sound like a really great place to, you know, initially it doesn't sound like a great place to grow grapes, but yet something drove your father to plant a vineyard uh, in the Santa Lucia Highlands. What drove that? What, what was the impetus behind that? Right. And, and, and you're right, because it's the whole region, it's, it's the, we call it the salad bowl of the world. Monterey County, Salinas Valley, it's all, you know, vegetable crops on the valley floor. And that's where our, our father grew up in that environment. And our grandparents wanted him to pursue that, but he wasn't as interested. So he was collecting wine in, in college and he would collect wine and then started making wine. So he was just driven, loving wine, wanted to make his own wine. And he kind of, he's, a, he's an amazing guy and a, and a wild character. So he'll tell people that he was drinking his wine collection too fast. So he wanted to make his own wine. But he was just following that pursuit of making wine. And through his collecting, he would recognize from old world wine regions that some of the best vines were up in the mountains. So when at the time in that area, everyone was, you know, planting, you know, different crops or even wine grapes on the valley floor, the hills were mostly cattle grazing because people didn't think they would, you know, be able to produce anything there. So he was, you know, ecstatic. And when our grandparents acquired this piece of land up in the mountains, he was, you know, dead set on growing his own grapes there, you know, no matter what anyone else told him. Well, having visited the area and, and seeing the topography again, I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, but it's really important to kind of get people in their mind's eye to picture the undulations of the benchland and the just this difficult terrain. And and I've actually even visited your your vineyard. You didn't know what I was trespassing, but yeah, <laughs> great grapes, by the way, uh, the the undulations there even hiking up in there without having to pick anything was uh, a kind of a, a arduous journey. So Mark, tell me a little bit about the three vineyards in the Appalachian and the differences and why you guys growing grapes there. Yeah. Um, so we, our family owns and farms three vineyards in the San Lucia Highlands, our Pisonia state property way up in the mountains in the San Lucia Highlands. So really extremely rugged terrain, very lean soils, really pushing the limits of farming. Um, that vineyard dad planted in 1982. Our Gary's Vineyard in the middle, the heart of the Appalachian, um, my dad and Gary Franchoni planted in 1996. The soil is a little bit richer there, a little bit loamier, 
in the at the Gary's Vineyard. And then our Sobranus Vineyard, uh, our youngest vineyard is about 12 years old. Um, it's next door to our Gary's Vineyard. And you have these big river rock cobblestones of granite shown throughout the vineyard site, which gives this great mineral characteristics to the wines and kind of these floral notes. Um, so very, I mean, I absolutely love farming and I love being out on the ranch and really fortunate to be a hands-on farmer out there observing with our team what's going on, you know, working to farm the best grapes we can. Quick question about the Gary's Vineyard. I noticed that Gary's is spelled with an apostrophe after the S, not between the Y and the S. And I guess that's an homage to the two Gary's from the two different families. Yes. So my dad uh, first planted grapes at our home ranch in 1982. And then he was looking for another site to plant some grapes and ended up partnering up with Gary Franchoni and together planted the Gary's Vineyard. It's been a good partnership. Yes, it's been a delicious partnership, I can tell you. <laughs> so, Jeff, throwing it over to you for a second. So once your brother has worked his magic in the vineyard, the grapes come to you, and you have been described as somebody who is obsessed with the pursuit of perfection in wine. That's kind of like a holy grail thing. I'm not really, I don't even know what that means, the perfection in wine, because it's so different from vintage to vintage. T tell me about your philosophy in making wine. Sure. You know, I, you, I think, you know, we, we, as, as winemakers, we always, we often talk about, you know, wines trying to represent a place. I, I think, I think we do that. I think that that pursuit aspect is kind of, I feel like it's always, it's always aspiring to push harder, to learn more. I feel like I, I really enjoy collecting information, whether it's weather, soil, you know, the chemistry about our wine and even, even records or, or barrels, how we, how we purchase barrels, age the staves, always, you know, pushing ourselves and pushing myself to learn and do better. I think, but I think as a philosophy, it's very, you know, it's hands off and sure, but there's an approach to like hands off winemaking that you hear about where people will sit back and relax. And I, I kind of have this, I like being hands off, but I'm watching very close at the same time because I feel like there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of risk in this. So I, you know, one of the approaches to that is native fermentations, you know, everything we do is native, no inoculations. We don't want to add anything. You know, when we have these ferments going, we'll have a tank of wine and we fill our tanks and we just let them rest there for, a, you know, a few days before they start, you know, warming up and fermenting on their own. But we'll taste them every day. We'll take a sample and look at it under the microscope every day, in which I kind of, you know, sometimes equate, you know, there's a, there's like the helicopter parent approach to parenting. So it's, you know, not to, you know, it's anything about that approach, but I feel like these, these grapes, I'm, we're like looking and watching them very close every day. I don't want to touch them, but we're keeping an eye on them. Yeah, Cause you know how hard your brother worked to get them to you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so Mark, tell me, I, I understand that in, in addition to everything you're doing in the vineyard, you're also got a sustainable approach to, to your farming practices. What motivates you to do that? Yeah, I'm a firm believer in sustainable farmer. I absolutely love it and fully embrace it on our ranch. I feel it takes the best practices of conventional farming, of organic farming, of biodynamic farming, and combines them into our ranch. I look at things we're doing to be good stewards of our land, like our insectary, solar panels we have. We're looking at you know cover crop patterns that we're doing um, ensuring that we have a polyculture on our ranch, 
you know, the honeybees that we take care of, numerous factors that we're doing in addition to growing high quality wine grapes to ensure that we're able to farm here for generations. Well, you're already part of a, a, a history of farming. I'm sure you want to probably pass that on to future generations as well. Yeah, as well. And not and in addition to that, also Scott, encouraging other farmers um, to farm the right way that I call it. And it's really investing time and investing resources in your ranch to make sure you're leaving it in a better spot and making fabulous wines in the process. So speaking of fabulous wines, Jeff, what other wines or wine regions inspires you in your wines? You mentioned earlier that that your dad, Gary, uh, drank through his collection and that he was, I guess, did you mention an old world collector at one point? Right, right. He was. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, what wines do you turn to or other regions do you turn to that inspire you? Mark and I were both lucky to, to grow up when dad had, you know, had his wine collection. He didn't... <laughs> when he had? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you guys drink? <laughs> okay. He, he was like the greatest collector because he, would, he wouldn't hold on to wines forever. He would collect them and he would drink them too. So, you know, but he, you know, there were still a lot of them when, when we were growing up. We got to drink a lot of great wines and exposed to that. So he had, you know, a lot of Bordeaux and Burgundy in German wines. And we grew up appreciating those. And, and Burgundy and Bordeaux, you know, they're, they're iconic regions. So it's, it's not like a novel idea to say they inspire me or us. But I often look to those because they're just like, you know, artisanal craft aspect of understanding these small plots of land in, in Burgundy. But in Bordeaux too, there's always, I've always felt like the history of winemaking as, as a craft in terms of how much, how far back they go, how much the universities and the chateau all work together to really develop this core sense of enology for, for the world. I mean, in, in, so I feel like that classic style of winemaking you know, both of those regions, I, I look to a lot. Well, you know, we're coming up on my favorite part of the podcast. What's in your glass? <laughs> so now that we've been talking about growing these grapes and making wine out of these grapes, I'm excited to actually try this. And I have to say that I have the rare treat in this COVID age and doing this over Zoom that you two were kind enough to send me a couple bottles of your wine so I can actually taste them along with you. So I'm very excited about this. And I understand we're going to do two wines today. And I think we're starting off with the 2012 Pisoni Pinot Noir. Yep. From the Santa Lucia Highlands. So here I have it in my glass. And it's it's beautiful. The color is just really gorgeous. And I have to say that you're getting that super luscious, you know, that beautiful dark raspberry and cherry fruit that's just kind of mingling in there and a little bit of spice coming up from uh from that and it's just this is a beautiful wine and and what i love about it is sometimes we equate domestic pinot noirs with being a little brutish or a little bit you know uh heavy-handed you know more or more on the masculine side and i haven't even tried this yet and and just the aroma strikes me as is very feminine and very bright jeff what are you getting out of this yeah, I agree. And, and, and one of the things that, you know, really resonates with me on, on this wine, this is, and again, it's our Pisoni estate bottling from the vineyard Mark first mentioned our Pisoni vineyard, but it, it's, it's true. There's a lot of like vibrancy and brightness to it, like where Pinot Noir can sometimes have these feminine qualities. And then also 
it has really a lot of structure in the body. It's like really like some muscular tannins. I've always felt that it's these mountain sites kind of like this, where it's high up, there's more sun exposure, but it's still in the fog. Um, but it's really tough soils. You get these, this combination of beauty and vibrance and a lot of structure. Actually, you know what, this, as I, I made those comments that I thought the nose was pretty feminine and, you know, it's beautiful, but you put that in your mouth. That is, yeah. that's a, that's a serious mouthful of wine. Yeah. You know, I would call, wine. I would rename this wine beauty and the beast <laughs> <laughs> because um, it does have a lot of structure. And then, you know, in addition to those, those kind of that raspberry cherry notes you're getting, but in the mouth, it, it also comes in this dark plum, this yeah. beautiful, not even dark plum rich plum sort of this rich plum that just expands in your mouth and it's just lovely and then again on the back end you're getting these great mingling of spices and it's just and and the balance in it that's what i look for mostly in a wine right you know we mean it's so hard to create that that trinity of acidity and tannin and fruit and and this wine's got it it's just a lovely wine. 2012. What was the vintage like? Uh, 2012 was a great vintage in the Santa Lucia Highlands. Really long growing season and and gave us a great uh, hang time um, and really allowed those tannins to develop. Santa Lucia Highlands has a very long growing season. We have an early bud break here and our season stretches for quite a long time because of those mild summer temperatures we have here. I am a huge fan of uh, spitting uh, when I'm trying to evaluate a wine. I did not spit that wine. I'm sorry. Sorry, boys. <laughs> that, that one that one went down pretty good. You know, and I, I'm thinking yeah. as, I, as I'm tasting. And really, you know, really. I was just going to say, and I'm thinking as I'm, I'm tasting slash drinking yeah. <laughs> this, this wine, <clears throat> this would really, I think, be uh, beautiful with like a... Uh, like a, like a mushroom pasta or something like that. I think this is just because it's got a little bit of umami in there. Right. You know, a little bit of that forest floor thing going on. And I, I just think like a, like a, a mushroom ragu yeah. would be awesome with this wine. With you on that one. Yeah. And right. I, I really agree with you on that, like forest floor earthy as well. So moving on to the next class, this one I understand is pretty special it's the 2018 Pisoni Pinot Noir, again, from the Santa Lucia Highlands. But this is special because it's your 20th vintage. And we've been, when we look back on our grape growing and winemaking, we, as Mark mentioned, our, our dad first planted grapes in 1982. And he was growing grapes, searching in the hills for a, for a well so we could have water to be able to plant more grapes. Then he started selling grapes to other wineries, a number of wineries that was also, you know, amazing that he brought the amount of recognition from wineries that are in other regions down to Santa Lucia Highlands, which, you know, we're, we're really unfamiliar with the region at the time. And in, in 1998, we made our, our first bottling of our own estate wine. Uh, so that was a special vintage for us. And then with our 2018 release, we kind of commemorated those, those 20 years of that bottling. So it was a, a nice vintage. And I have to say, remarkably different from the but, 2012 yeah. you know a, a lot of times you'll you'll try wines from uh, the same winemaker and 
you know, they they can be pretty similar, even though the vintages were different. This one is clearly different from the 2012. So I'm kind of curious, what was the 2018 vintage like? 2018 was longer. We got, you know, I, we saw a lot more resolved tenons, so a lot finer structure, where 12 has more muscular notes in it. We, I feel like the 2018 is, is, is softer, richer and softer. But, you know, Mark, if you want to speak to the weather, but yeah, it was, it was a yeah. slow year. Yeah, again, 2018, you know, the month of September rolled around, and we continually kept tasting, kept evaluating, trying to figure out, trying to get the grapes at the, the right maturity. And it was the, the weather was really on our side, and it was wonderful to honestly harvest that leisure in 2018, well, which is we don't always get. And this is just so different from even on the nose. It's so different where the first one was kind of that red cherry and, and, and raspberry. This is really uh, kind of got uh, a lot of cranberry going on and, and black tea and even just a touch of lead pencil going on, which uh, is, is pretty cool in there. And just so it's dramatically different from the, the 12 in a delightful way two really good solid wines just very different from different vintages again i'm, I'm drinking that wow that you drink that kind of hits you in the back out of it out of the blue with just it's it's refined but it's got this juicy core to it that as it just hits you in the back it just keeps going and going let's do yeah these are special wines um you know they're very limited production they're mountainside vineyards and my brother is doing a barrel selection in there, really selecting his barrels that he feels will be the most long and live from some of our favorite blocks on that property. That small selection goes into the wine that you're drinking today. What, the, what is the production on, on this wine? We make about six or 700 cases. Oh, wow. It's small. It's very, yeah, very small. And like Mark said, we'll go and, and yields are small. We have, we have a, a special clone of Pinot Noir that our dad brought over from France a long time ago. It's very low yielding and has a thick skin. So it has, you know, some more textural notes anyways, but we're, we get about two to two and a half tons per acre. We, we use only free run for these selections that when we're done fermenting, we take the free run, not the press fractions. You know, we make these kind of quality cuts along the way and, and there's, you know, it's only the, the very finest that we that we keep for this bottling. Well, so for listeners who may not be familiar with low yield, a, a typical a typical vineyard might yield four or five tons per acre. So when you're talking about two and a half tons, you're literally talking about half of of what a yeah. typical vineyard would yield. So that the quality of the fruit must be very high. I, I read somewhere that your dad is actually obsessed with low yield. Uh, right. vineyards. Yeah. And, and uh, is that true? It is. And one of the funniest stories he was, it was really neat. Like he was, he was making wine as a, as a winemaker, home winemaker before, you know, planting grapes. So when he planted these grapevines, he was looking at it from a quality point of view and learning as much as he could. And, you know, so canopy management and he would be dropping fruit at, at, you know, these early days of growing grapes in the area when it was a farming community. And he was saying that one of the, one of the times he dropped fruit going through and of course trying to, you know, seek balance in the vines and, and you know, not overcrop a vineyard. Our grandfather, who was a fantastic farmer, but went to the vineyard 
and saw these grapes laying on the ground. Oh no! And, and our dad says that our grandfather, you know, almost had a heart attack at seeing this and was like, Gary, what are you doing? So I have to ask, we're getting ready to wrap this up, but before I let you guys go, you mentioned that your dad is out in the vineyard, cropping, dropping fruit, canopy management, uh, and then he's also a home winemaker. So I have to believe he's got some influence in both of your worlds. Oh, he, he absolutely does. Yeah, he's a huge influence, huge inspiration for, for both of our worlds. Very cool. Well, I, you know, that's a, that is a, a wonderful note to end on. And But before we go, I do have to ask you, again, very, these are very low production wines. How can people get their hands on it? Because these are delicious. Cool. You know, I think the easiest way online, email, and we could either, you know, connect somebody to, you know, we, we have a mailing list or a distributor. You know, some, some of these are mailing, you know, limited to mostly mailing list. Some wines we have are more distribution. And how do people join yeah. that mailing list? Uh, they can go to our web. Yeah. They can go to our website. And also I want to promote, my brother has a great blog on our website off our Pizzoni Vineyards website that if you'll go to that blog, it's really an informational educational where my brother talks about geology, talks about different fermentation techniques. Different, I mean, a wide variety of topics that listeners can learn a ton and really geek out on winemaking and grape growing. All right. Well, Mark, this is the point where you tell us what the name of the website is. Uh, you could tell I'm a good farmer, <laughs> not the best uh, marketer, huh? Scott? You can go to pizzonivineyards.com. All right, pizzonivineyards.com. And we'll try to put a link up also on the uh, on the podcast site. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It was genuinely a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I, you're a great, a great team, and I admire uh, how well you, you both work together. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. And the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. And remember, until the next time, do good, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.